Acts chapter 16, sure enough, uh, if you'll go with me, if you'll allow it uh, this morning, this will be a, more a teaching uh, than preaching. However, it is in line with the theme of evangelism, kind of, that's been running through. And this is something that has dawned on me um, relatively recently, if you will. And it has to do with our outlook on what is it that's going through your mind. So you're praying... You're praying and you're asking God to save people. What is it really that we're saying when, when we say, Lord, please save so-and-so? What is it exactly that I'm imagining in my mind that God will do? And what I'd like to tell you this morning is that um, you are more Calvinist than you think. And Calvinism is a heresy. I'm not a Calvinist. I say this because I was a Calvinist for three years. Um, my pastor turned me in 30 seconds into a Calvinist. And it was in the name of humility. Uh, I basically said one day, I recall it as if, as if it was yesterday, I was in the basement of the church in Beirut. And I said, oh, you know, God has foreknowledge, so he foreknows the people who, are, who will believe on him, and that's why he predestinates them to salvation. Now, that's still inaccurate, okay? There's no predestination unto salvation in the Bible as such. Um, but that's how I was kind of reasoning it through my mind. And that reasoning is actually more sound than Calvinistic reasoning is. And my pastor said, he said, well, George, it can't be that God foreknew that you would get saved, and that's why he chose to save you, because then that would mean that salvation is dependent on what you would do. Because in Calvinistic reasoning, you believing on Jesus is you doing something. Their definition of a work is so broad that it encompasses faith. Faith in Calvinism is a work. And since you're not saved by works, then you're not saved by you believing on Jesus. And so therefore, God made you believe. You're not the one that believed. God made you believe. And if you're saying that God foresaw that you would get saved, my pastor said, then salvation depends on you, George. And we're not saved by works. And as a young man... You know, I was aware the number one sin of young men is pride. Uh, Paul warns about this, and I thought, wow, I don't want to be proud. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it can't be that. It can't be that. You're right, you're right. That's it. I became a Calvinist for the next three years. I witnessed the people as if I was a Calvinist. I've offended people by my Calvinism. Um, And it is on the rise. Even in Lebanon, not just in the States. The most influential pastor in Lebanon was complaining to me a few months ago that there's almost the sudden surge in it, uh, thanks to the giant ministries of the likes of John Piper and John MacArthur and, and so on and so forth. When, because I was, a, um, I was a Calvinist for three years, I've become a little bit more attuned to ingrained Calvinism even amongst us. You know how like you come out of a heathen religion, you're more sensitive to something that sounds heathen because you've lived it so you can pick it up? Not because you're more discerning, it's just because that's kind of your background and you're more familiar with it, right? And sometimes that very strength can go to an extreme because you start seeing the heathenism and everything and you got to relax a little bit too. But here's where it'll come out. I'll give you an example, okay? And we say this too, and I'm, I'm not doing this to, to reprove or chastise. Remember, I was for three years, I'm a Calvinist. I'm just trying to help the church out, maybe a little bit, okay? If it's helpful, praise God. If it's not... You know, this is fun. We, iron sharpens iron, right? Okay? So, we'll say something like this still. I remember I was in university, 
and I was witnessing to a lot of people, a lot of my friends, and uh, I would win the argument. I would win the logical argument. I mean, literally, sometimes they were left pretty much speechless. And, you know, you'd come back and you'd tell the pastor, like, you know, I won the argument, but they didn't get saved. And and the pastor would say something like, and I understand the spirit, but he would say something like, well, brother, you're not the one that saves them. Unless God does something to save them, they're not going to get saved. And, And that sounds really spiritual, and I understand the sentiment behind it, and I agree with the sentiment behind it. It's not wrong, a sentiment. It is soteriologically inaccurate. That is still, believe it or not, Calvinism at work in us because they so dominate the Christian ether of academia that we've absorbed some of it when we say things like that. It sounds really humble. So, of course, you're going to say, what what are you going to say? No, 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 I'm the one that's leading him to the Lord. I don't need God to do something. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, uh, God has to do the saving. Well, of course. But here's the thing. Um... And it's probably maybe based on verses like uh, Acts chapter 16 there, uh, where it says that God opened her heart. If you could, this is a verse, uh, look in 16.14. Acts chapter 16.14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So we have verses like this in the background. Okay. So it's normal. Well, yeah, I remember Acts 16, and yes, unless God does something in the heart, then my witnessing is useless. Okay, let's put Acts 16, 14, first, second, on the side. Okay. <clears throat> God dealing with hearts in the Bible is always, in every instance, through external means. We are still imagining, like the Calvinists do, that somehow I witness. And then, but God has to do the extra work of coming in and flipping a switch in the heart of the hearer. And if God doesn't flip that switch, then the hearer can't get saved. That is Calvinistic. We amen that, but that's Calvinism, and that's why it still thrives. They've convinced you that there needs to be some kind of extra work, internal work of God in the heart of the hearer. Friends... God is dealing with that person through your witnessing. That is the dealing of God with the heart. It is through the external means. He is persuading that person's heart through your preaching. It's through the external means. And there is no extra inward work of God in the heart. The gospel preaching in and of itself is sufficient for the conversion of that person. That's what we're saying. So the Calvinists will say, God ordained the means as well as the ends. The difference is they do not believe that the means are sufficient. It's not enough. you got to do the preaching, but then God has to come do his little magical flip in the switch too. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Even fallen man has the natural ability to believe the gospel. Naturally. I believe that we have a fallen sinful nature. A lot of times we get misrepresented. Oh, you don't believe in the fallen nature of man. Man is sinful. Man is depraved. Man is wicked. Man is unable to do anything right. Well, okay, I believe in man's sinful nature. But, you know, even sinful man can do something right. When it comes to sinful nature, we've overblown it a little bit. You know what the first post-fall statement 
on the spiritual capacities of man's sinful nature is, God himself gives it, and it's in Genesis chapter 4. Look with me, if you will, in Genesis chapter 4. First book in your Bible, of course, Genesis chapter 4. And you're going to see what lost man can do in his natural state without any inner working of the Spirit of God. Natural man. This is Genesis chapter 4, and after the fall. Genesis chapter 4. Cain's offering has been rejected. You guys know the story. Right? Adam has sinned. He has begotten a son in his own image and likeness. Two of them, at least. Cain and Abel. So if ever there's a time when God would make a statement about, okay, well, Adam was sinless. He could do spiritually good works. But now sinful man has a sinful nature inherited from Adam. And if ever there was a place where God would comment on what the sinful nature can or cannot do, this is it. Watch what he says. What he tells Cain in verse 6 after he's rejecting his offerings. So Genesis chapter 4 verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Now the doing well in context is bringing a blood sacrifice. Right? Okay. So, Lord tells him, sinful, fallen, unregenerate man, hey, you can do well. And by doing well, he doesn't mean just like, because the Calvinists will tell you, well, yes, the lost man can do like good works, but not spiritually good works. No good spiritual work. Well, hang on a second. Bringing an offering, a lamb, is a type of believing on Jesus Christ, is it not? God tells Cain, you can do it and you'd accept it. You can do it. You can bring a blood sacrifice. Natural, unregenerate man. You know what God says? You can believe the gospel. Even after the fall. You could. When the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, when Paul says, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. He doesn't mean it is impossible for a lost man to do any single good work at all. Guys, come on. There's lost people that sacrifice themselves for others. I remember Pastor Rice when I was in Bethel years ago in Canada. He told us a story of a lost man in the Vietnam War. A grenade was thrown into the tent. They didn't have time to flee it. And the guy threw himself on the grenade and took it in the belly. Lost guy. You're going to tell me that's not a good work? That's a better work than I can ever hope to do. I had a little confession to make years ago. I, that thing troubles me. There was a kid in the middle of the street and there was a car coming screeching. And I'm like, maybe if I saw too many movies, I don't know. I was like, man, do, I wasn't sure. And I didn't want to look like an idiot to run and pick up the kid when there's no need. Because I wasn't sure if the car was far away or not. And I kind of froze. Thankfully, it turned out that the car had plenty of time and the kid had plenty of time to get out of the street. But I really did freeze for a couple of seconds. I did. It's not as easy as you see in the movies, you know. Uh, <clears throat> there's guys that have done that. I saw a lost guy on the news. This guy fell in the metro. He jumped in front of the subway. This other guy jumped on top of him and laid on top of the guy and kept him under the train. Lost guy. <clears throat> when Paul says there's none to do with good, no, not one, what he means is there's nobody that can do good enough to match the sinless standard of God. Not that you can't do any good work at all. As far as meriting your salvation, your works don't count for nothing. They're never going to be good enough. There's none that doeth good in the absolute standard of God. But not that you can't do any good at all. Okay, you can do... Uh, sirs, what must I 
do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. He can do that. Okay? You are responsible and you are fully able in your lost sinful nature to believe the gospel, to respond to it positively. And look what he says next. This is verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Well, here's the sinful nature. And unto thee shall be his desire, sin. And thou, lost man, shalt rule over him. There's a statement on fallen nature. And God says, you can handle this thing. You can. Now, he didn't say you can absolutely handle this thing. I know we need the Lord Jesus Christ to overcome sin. We've heard plenty of sermons about it, and that's a biblical reality. But there's a certain measure of control that even the lost man can have. You've never met a drunk guy that quit drinking on his own? I've met plenty of them, man. I've met plenty of them at the rescue mission. I don't need Jesus. I, I've, been, I've been sober for 14 years. Okay? You say, well, God helped him. Yes, he did. Even that guy, God helped him through external means. God didn't come in and flip a switch inside the heart. The Lord will do a whole bunch of things. He will not overrule your free will that He has given you. That is where He draws a red line. Okay? He draws a red line. So, you know what that means? So when it comes to Lydia, God opening her heart, by the way, it doesn't necessarily say unto salvation. There's plenty of things we read into the text. It just says that He opened her heart that she may attend unto the things that were spoken of Paul. So you read, opened her heart. Well, isn't that God doing an internal work? Well, did it say it was inside the heart? It could very well have been that God did some external thing that he knew would influence her heart. You know how God hardened Pharaoh's heart the first time? The Bible actually spells it out how he did. And you, you, we kind of see it, but we don't. Watch. <clears throat> of course, he prophesies that uh, Pharaoh would harden his heart. God knows that. And before he ever hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So we'll say, well, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The heart is on the inside. That sounds like an internal work. No, because the Bible tells you what he did. First miracle, they come in. They're before the king of Egypt, Moses and Aaron. Aaron casts his rod upon the ground and it becomes a serpent. I won't read the verses for sake of time, but you guys know the story. It's a Thursday morning crowd. Uh, the, rod, the rod becomes a serpent. Okay, so now Pharaoh's like looking at his magicians. So, can you do this? You can do this, right? And just, yeah, yeah, we can do this. And then the magicians take the rod... And cast it down, and it becomes an actual serpent. I don't think this was fake. I don't think this was an illusion. One of the reasons I don't think this was an illusion is because Aaron's rod ate the other rods. <laughs> I think they, there was some kind of supernatural means there. I mean, they did bring up frogs on Egypt. Right? They were working with devils. Could they have done this had God not allowed it? Could they have turned their rods into serpents had God overruled no, no, the Lord must have allowed it, okay? The Lord lets the magicians come into contact with evil spiritual powers and transform that rod into a living being. And the Bible says this, when Pharaoh saw, when he saw that his magicians can do the same thing, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. How was it hardened? Because God came in and kind of... With a screwdriver? No, 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 no. The Lord allowed the external means of the rods turning into serpents by Pharaoh's magicians. Pharaoh looks at that and says, well, We can do the same thing. I'm not impressed. The Lord hardened his heart 
through an external event. And he knew how he would react to that external event. You don't know, but God may have opened Lydia's heart that morning uh, by giving her a beautiful sunny day when she had prayed for it. That's opening her heart. Softening her. Don't we say, when we go out street preaching or soul winning, sometimes we bring musicians. Because what does music do? Don't we say it softens the heart? Is that an internal magical work? No. But the Lord is softening their hearts through the beauty of the music. It's still an external work. It's still an external work. You know what that means? I'll finish with this. When I realized this, it encouraged me to study all the more. Don't think for a second that, well, I'm going to preach the gospel, but you know, unless God does something, they're not going to get saved. He is doing something through you preaching the gospel. Hello? That's, that's it right there. He is doing something. I'm not going to study to have an answer always ready at hand to give because it's not winning the argument that, that convinces them. Yes, it is. Because you presenting a good argument that appeals to the intellect as well as the heart is God convincing them, is God persuading them. Through you, it really has an effect sufficiently on its own. The work of God is what you are doing. He may add some other means on the outside of what you yourself are doing, right? He may use creation, he may use something that happened this morning, he may use a lifetime of grace and mercy. When the Lord Jesus Christ tells us about the sunshine, the rain that he sends on the just and the unjust, that's God dealing with man. And it is sufficient, and it is enough, and man is responsible. So... You preaching, sometimes it really is all it's hanging on. Like, like uh, Brother Anthony was saying, if you, didn't, if you didn't take right, man, there's going to be an eternal consequence. Ezekiel, the Lord tells him, if you warn them, then you're free. Your blood, their blood is not on you. If you don't, their blood is on you. Without God doing anything else, it's, it's all on you. I am working through you. So you're studying and you winning the argument... It, that's enough. It is. It's vital. There is no extra work being done. Guys. The Holy Spirit shall reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what the Lord told us in John, right? You know what the Holy Spirit is doing while you're preaching? He's going, what he's saying is true. What he's saying is true. He's bringing things back into the, the memory and things like that. But it's all from the outside. Knocking, influencing, like the wind blowing on the grass. There's nothing supernatural going on inside. That part is all on you. You are responsible. And that, by the way, when you, that replaces the responsibility of man to be saved squarely back on the man. Because you'll never be able to go up to God and say, well, you didn't touch my heart. No, 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 you were fully able to believe. You were rejected. I don't need to touch your heart or anything. I begged and pleaded and died. The preaching of the gospel is a sufficient means. The goodness of God through creation is a sufficient means. I've done everything I've got to do, buddy. You're the one that hardened your heart and rejected. By the way, the, God, the guy in, uh, in Romans 9 that says, you know, why hast thou made me thus and why hast thou hardened me? In context, that's a Jewish man saying, well, why are you moving away the gospel and salvation from us and giving it over to the Gentiles? We've been following the law. They don't even follow the law. And now you're going to give them salvation for free? It's, a, it's, it's not a guy rejecting Calvinism <laughs> in Romans 9. That all of a sudden, when I understood this, that there's no extra magical work of God that gets done. It sounds really spiritual and everything, but, well, brother, unless God opens their heart, he was opening their heart through me preaching. 
They're just hardening it. So you better take it seriously that what you are doing is the work of God, and there's nothing, there's no magic dust over on top of that for him to sprinkle. You are his mouth. You are his hand. You are his influence. You are his, pers- his persuasiveness. And then, of course, he, I know he does a whole bunch of other things, like creation, as we mentioned. You know. But that's how the Lord does it. From the outside, reaching in. It's true. You're all they've got. You're all they've got. So yeah, go back and preach again. Go back and pray again. When you're praying for their salvation, you know what you're saying? You're saying, Lord, you're not saying, you shouldn't be thinking, God, flip a magical switch in their heart. That's what I'm praying for. No, no, no. You're saying, whether you realize it or not, Lord, do something in their life that will pressure them. Lead them, squeeze them, move them to a place where their free will can finally say, yes, Lord. That's really what you're praying for. I don't know about you, but for me, all of a sudden, I realized how much more responsibility there was on my soldiers, on my soldier, on my shoulders. We are soldiers, too. (laughs) And that's not to depress you or to burden you all the more. On the contrary, you know, that's like so exciting that... I am, the, I am those people's lifeline. I can stand say, there and say, I'm preaching to the gospel. I'm doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is dealing with you right now through this very means. And you are fully able to receive it. Fully able to receive it. Thank you. God bless you guys.